Hey there, voice teachers. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music. Today's podcast, podcast number 32, is all about helping our young singers tap into their acting skills. My special guest is the super talented Nate Plummer. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast. Resources for private, classroom, and choral music programs. And here's your host, Nikki Loney. Hey, voice teachers, thank you so much for joining me today on the Full Voice Podcast. If you are new to our podcast, well, this is the place for teachers working with young singers. We love to share teaching tips and teaching strategies. Today's topic... I think is a very common challenge that a lot of us face in our teaching studios. I know that I have certainly struggled with this, and that is how to get more acting out of our students, how to get more expressive storytelling and passionate, sincere performances. Well, my special guest has some amazing strategies for you. His name is Nate Plummer. He is a professional actor, a singer, and music educator. He teaches both online and in-person lessons. He specializes in theater for youth. Now, I always like to start things off by uh, letting our guests talk a little bit about their beginnings, how they got into singing, how they got into their, their careers, and how that led them into teaching. And Nate has a great story, but I'm going to let Nate tell you the story. So, Nate, take it away. Well, um, I started as as a performer, as an actor. I started when I was really young. I did my first show when I was seven. And so as a result of that, I kind of needed help getting ready for auditions and things. And I was very, very lucky to have an absolutely amazing piano teacher and her husband had been a voice teacher. And so she had enough of a background in voice and all of that to really help me get a strong foundation. And really as a teacher, what I look back now and appreciate is that she was willing to kind of totally deviate from her set curriculum to work with a student who she knew full well was much more interested in singing <laughs> than wow. in Wow, so she, so she catered lessons to your needs. Absolutely, wow. and I think that that's a huge part of why I teach the way I do, uh, because every singer, as you know, is unique, mm-hmm. and every student is unique, and it's our job as teachers to kind of do exactly what what she did. And after a while, she said, you know, you've kind of reached where I can take you with your voice, you should start working with other teachers. And so started working with the different teachers at my middle school and high school, all of whom were fantastic. And then I ended up, after working with them for a while, worked with one of the professors at the university in my hometown, the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, Mm -hmm. which is where I ended up going to school. And I had been singing musical theater because that's, I knew what I wanted to do, wanted to act, wanted to sing. And so we had been working on those songs in lessons. And then I show up for my first lesson of my freshman year of college. And he said, yeah, we're not doing musical theater anymore. (gasps) Oh no. Yeah. And I was, I was a double major. I was vocal performance and theater right. at the same time. And I was just like devastated. And he said, 
Well, you can do anything classically. You can sing any style classically. And being the naive college freshman I was, I didn't believe him. (laughs) And I still don't. Uh, But I was like, I'm going to trust, you know, that he knows what he's doing. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to fully, you know, buy into this concept. And thank goodness I didn't because I ended up being taught how to belt classically. Oh. Which... Yeah, isn't isn't mm. a thing. I ended up with vocal nodes. Oh and, no! Yeah, and so that was kind of a big, like, shock. Mm. Obviously, as a student, and I was terrified. Was and this so, in your first year? Yeah, my freshman year of college, and so I was like really worried that something was going on, and. So I, I talked to my teacher about it, and he was absolutely convinced it wasn't his fault. Oh, of course. And he said, I've never had a, te- a student have, have nodes before, and so it, it, must, it, it has to be something you're doing. <laughs> Which I know you and I have talked about this in the past. Like That just is so not the appropriate thing to say to a student. Nope. When, when we are the ones responsible for helping them find their voice. Right. and. So I got so frustrated, I dropped my music degree. Oh. So I am, I'm sure, one of very few voice teachers out there that do not actually have a complete formal training um, in in music. My degree is actually in elementary theater education. Wow. Oh, that's kind of a neat degree, though. It is. What... What we were able to do with my degree, because I knew I wasn't going to be able to formally teach in a school mm-hmm. uh, in in the United States, and especially in Wisconsin, there are set kind of policies as far as you have to be um, licensed to teach theater and something else because they want to make you marketable as a right. teacher. Uh, and I just knew that that really formal structured setting wasn't what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be an actor Mm -hmm. and take my passion of working with kids and doing theater with kids uh, in that regard. And I knew that teaching would be a a useful skill Mm -hmm. set for me. So I had an amazing advisor who really helped me create a degree based around everything I wanted to do. Wow. And so I, my formal degree when we look at it is comprehensive theater arts with an emphasis in theater for youth performance and education. And that really opens me up to get to look at everything really from a practical standpoint for kids that how are we going to actually use these acting techniques? How are we going to use these singing techniques in an actual setting rather than just in, in the lesson studio or whatever? I don't ever believe in learning a song that isn't audition worthy Mm, nice studio so everything that we are doing from day one we are building a student's audition book wow are going to be better than others for that some songs are very obviously technique driven songs but if we can make everything seem like it's something they're going to be able to use later on they can sense the practical application Mm mm-hmm and more importantly, they can apply it. Ah, oh, I love that. We start very early on in what would you use this song for? And then what other songs are similar to this to help students get this well-rounded concept 
of what it means to not only be a singer, but to be a, a performer. And that goes across any genre. Mm-hmm. It's, it's our job as teachers to help students learn whatever styles they want to learn. And that's the beauty of private teaching. Like we have this person in front of us and we need to be listening to them and watching them and guiding them. But, I, you know, a, a, we have to disconnect from our egos, which is hard. It is really hard. And I think that that's one of the things that I love about teaching in, in the studio setting and especially I teach all online at, at this time. I'm in the process of opening an in-person studio, which will be uh, quite an adventure for me because I haven't done that in almost five years. Now, I want to backtrack for a second. So after you, after you developed the nodules, did you, did you see a specialist? Did you take some rest? How did you? I did um, six weeks of vocal rest. And that was really a pain as a music and theater major. And that kind of frustration was a lot of the reason as to why I ended up dropping my music degree and how I ended up finding the theater education program because my advisor in the theater department was like, you need credits. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to keep your scholarships and you're not going to be able to graduate. And she had openings in her classes those semesters and was willing to slip me in. And I think as terrible of a thing as the nodes were for me, they really were eye-opening and really helped me find teaching, which I don't think I would have had. In talking to all the teachers that I've interviewed, we all have found our way into teaching through very, very different things. But that certainly would have been an incredible fork in the road for you. After, after college, I, I hadn't studied voice actually through, all, through pretty much the rest of college because I was very frustrated. And a friend of mine said, uh, she was a Broadway performer. I was talking with her and she said, you need to start taking voice lessons again. And I said, no. And I quote, voice teachers are stupid. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Something that she has not let me live down. <laughs> and she introduced me to uh, the guy who kind of changed my whole philosophy on voice teaching. And I think that it was a combination of working with him and just his whole really laid back, relaxed, personalized approach to teaching in combination with my theater training as a, as a teacher that really helped me find this path of of wanting to learn more about teaching voice and to to teach so that no other student went through what I Wow, you know, that, you that bring up a, a really important point. I know that you're not alone with those experiences. Um, many teachers, many singers, uh, many of us have had that teacher that has either said something to us or, or treated us in a way that really... Um, shakes you to the core and I know that I have um, a million stories from either other students coming from students that come to me that tell me some of the things that people have said to them which is so 
Uh, I mean, thankfully, they're they're comfortable enough to share those comments. But I've even had parents come and say, mm. "Well, her teacher said this, or her past teacher said that," and and it's unfortunate that you have yep. to start the lesson from from a damage control and building someone back up. But sometimes yes. that is definitely part of the challenge of teaching. Is you know, if someone's taken a strip out of a kid's confidence, you know, you've got to work really hard to get that back. So. Uh, so your teacher got you back on track. He did, and he himself uh, is a, a a nationally known music director and accompanist, and really helped me look at things from a practical standpoint rather than just performance. He was one of the first ones to point out to me, "You sound great, but could you do that eight shows a week?" And it wasn't, that was one of the first times I'd ever thought, oh, well, just because I can sing it once doesn't mean I'm going to be able to keep this up. And a lot of the challenge for me was having to almost undo all of these other habits that had been taught to me uh, by trying to create a much different sound than really was my natural voice. And it took... It took me a couple months to, I was lucky that it only took me a couple months because mm-hmm, for some mm-hmm. students it takes a lot longer to just really kind of strip everything away and start completely over. And he was so patient uh, in the whole process that I think if I hadn't worked with him, I don't know if I, one, would be teaching uh, but two, if I would have really gotten back to singing at from where I was to where I am now, it just, it was such a, one of those like perfect moments, you know, when you find that perfect teacher that, that really does open everything up. Nice. That's a, that's a really inspiring story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think it's helpful for teachers to hear that, uh, well, again, it's, it's the, how important our relationships are and, and knowing when we're a good fit and when we're not a good fit, too. Absolutely. I, I do a, a free trial lesson when students start with me. One, because I do the Skype lessons and I know that that isn't always the right fit for every student. But more, I think that that relationship is so crucial that level of trust and especially if we're going to be asking students to learn new techniques or new styles. I have students that come to me frequently that are really wanting to belt and when they've been trained classically for years and then they have to learn belting which is a totally different sound. Everything feels weird and that level of trust that as a teacher I am doing the right techniques and all of that has to be there so that they feel comfortable in exploring those sounds and making these weird sounds. But I think also when we're asking from an acting standpoint, asking students to be vulnerable and to explore really, really intense emotions a lot of times in some of these songs to really make them effective we have to talk about personal connections to the songs and if that trust isn't there in in the teacher and that the teachers created a really safe space to explore these things that isn't going to happen and you may be 
the best teacher in the world with an absolutely amazing student. But if that trust relationship isn't going to be there, the student's just going to keep kind of spinning their wheels. They don't. They don't show us truly what they're capable of, be, because that there's that hesitation, that pullback, that fear. So I'm gonna dig into your acting expertise here. So, sure. what are some of the techniques that you use to get our young singers into that acting mindset? What do you do with them that makes them comfortable, but makes them kind of emote a bit more? Well, one of the first things that I think is a little confusing when it comes to acting is that we always like to, especially with younger singers, ask them to play emotions, to be happy, to be sad, be angry. And that's uh, usually leads to very kind of forced fake responses. And I think one of my big beliefs and one of the reasons why I really wanted to get into children's theater as a focus was that we don't give younger performers a lot of credit a lot of times we don't we always think that a young performer can't go into the the deep stuff that that we would ask of adult performers and i think we can ask the exact same things of young performers that we ask of adults we just have to phrase it a little differently so i start um about three or four songs in with students uh, we start really focusing on adding acting into a song. We we will hint at acting techniques earlier on, and I'll always ask the student, what is the song about? Uh, what is something you connect to in this song? Uh, what is the story of the song to you? And let them tell it that way rather than trying to be the character. Uh, and then after that, we start really looking at things the way most professional actors do using the the concepts of Konstantin Stanislavski. What do I want? How do I get it? And what stands in my way? Most of us know that as uh, objectives, tactics, and obstacles. But I start with that even with kids as young as five or six. I'm asking them, we'll do a simple thing like, I'm hungry. So what do I want? Food. How am I going to get it? Well, uh, I could go cook something. I could go buy food. They always like to say they could steal food. So I <laughs> them go there. Um, and then I always ask them what stands in my way. And they will say things like, well, maybe you don't know how to cook. Maybe you don't have any money. Uh, maybe there's no food around. And then I always have to remind them that sometimes other people or other situations are obstacles too, like the lesson that we're in. I can't go and leave the lesson to go get <laughs> And I think the more that we can simplify any story down to those three things, because that's really what acting boils down to. Stanislavski's books were called um, An Actor Prepares, Building a Character, and Creating a Role, which conveniently spell out the ABCs of acting. And I think that if we break it down that simple for anybody in a song or in a scene or whatever, regardless of their age, we can figure out those concepts. And so I always start with what do I want in the song? So if we're singing my favorite things from the sound of music, somebody's sad. So what do I want? I want them to be happy. And then what we actually focus on then are the actual 
are the actual acting moments, the actions or the tactics. How am I going to get what I want? So I'm going to make them laugh. I'm going to tickle them. I'm going to be silly. I'm going to all of the verbs that those are what we can actually act. We can't act happy because that's different for everybody. Ocean, whereas if we do something physical, I'm going to chase them. I'm going to run. I'm going to hide. All of these different things, it's all up to interpretation for the student. And then we will go with whatever crazy things pop into their head. And some work and some don't. I always tell students that there are no right or wrong answers. And I actually have a sign in my studio. It's the word perfect with a, it's and it's big and it's crossed out. Because nothing we ever do is perfect. And I even like to tell students that are really focused on perfection that even a piano is not perfectly in tune, even if it was just freshly tuned because of the whole well-tempered tuning structure. So even if we're tuning to a piano, we're not perfect. So why should we feel that we need to be perfect? And for older students, the idea that life isn't perfect, that our characters aren't perfect, so even the choices we make in our day-to-day -day lives are not perfect. And that's what makes our lives interesting. So the more we open up the possibility that a character is going to make imperfect choices, the more exciting it can be. And for the younger students, I always ask them to remember that they are their character. He might be totally different. Their character may be a villain, but at the end of the day, or we can focus on the ways that we're similar rather than the ways that we're different, we can understand that in this situation, with the knowledge I have, what would I do? Right. And we can help students by creating stories with them, saying, okay, this song is about it when this character is experiencing this. Uh, I always, with teenage girls especially, because that's the primary uh, age group in my studio, musical theater and teaching voice, most of the time I'm teaching teenage girls. And so we usually start with the ever so popular on my own because they know it. And when we can look at that song, they know what the story is and they feel they have a connection to it. And so then even without getting into too much of their personal details, we can focus on making the story theirs. And especially in an audition situation, it's important to always tell people that they don't want to see the character of the song that you're playing. They want to see your interpretation of the song. And it's your story. So your audition song should come in and tell your story, not Eponine's story, not Maria's story, but your story. And I had an amazing opportunity of working with a casting director in New York who's suggested to take the song that you're auditioning with and put it in the context of the show you're auditioning for. And how would you make it fit? And I think in a lesson situation, we take that same concept and say, okay, if you were singing this song, how would you fit into your life? And what does it mean to you rather than, okay, what do you think this song is about? So do you think it's better to kind of let them 
kind of choose those dark, dark songs and let them explore them and and uh, and just kind of give them that freedom, even though, I mean, I, I, I have a few and I... I want them to sing some happier songs, but I think just where they are emotionally, should we just let them stay there or do we want to challenge them out of that? I think you can do a combination of both by letting them sing songs like, say, On My Own, but to always, especially in an audition situation, um, find a sense of hope because we don't want to see a song where we just play one sad emotion. We just wallow in one thing. And I think songs like On My Own she has, she must have hope of some kind. Otherwise, she wouldn't go back to Marius at the barricade. She she feels that there's some kind of sense of hope, and by letting us explore that feeling of okay, things aren't so good right now, but they there is still hope. Then maybe can br- kind of bridge that transition into the emotional pieces or from a most really, you know, angsty, typical teen pieces into the, the brighter happy. Um, and that's what I love about not playing emotions. When we're playing, we're telling a story and that we're playing the wants and the actions and then really being aware at that point of the obstacles. I like to tell students, especially the ones that are really into the emotional angsty things, because they just want to cry. They just think that that's awesome to cry in a song. And in real life, we don't just cry. We fight crying because we never want to actually cry. And so what's more interesting for us as an audience is to watch them fight until they can't fight anymore. And when students can get into that, that's what makes it really cool. And that that's a, a really fun way of challenging students, especially the ones that are wanting to do all the deep, dark stuff, to put on that brave face, keep fighting through it, and then introducing the idea of a secret, which is a, a, an acting technique probably most well-known with Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep is one who will give her character a secret in every every movie she does but it's a secret she doesn't tell anybody but that secret determines every choice her character makes because if you think about it we all have secrets in our lives and a lot of times in the way of protecting that secret we kind of make choices other things in our lives all in effort of protecting that secret and even giving that idea on a happier song where you still have that secret can give that kind of multidimensional feel that a lot of the the really angst-driven kids are looking for, that maybe the character is putting on a brave, happy face. I remember I was working with a student who was like dead set against singing put on a happy face and was having to do it for a callback for his school's production of Bye Bye Birdie. And so... We just changed the whole thing that it was him singing it to himself rather than singing it to the girl at the at the train station, that he was the one having to kind of like boost himself up. That is interesting. I like and that. It just changes. You're still playing the same actions. Right. You know, you're still trying to cheer yourself up. But if you just change the context of the song to the student, I think that's the 
what makes coaching musical theater pieces or even pop songs mm-hmm. can can work this exact same way. You brought up a really good point. Um, the pop songs, my biggest issue is, I, one, I want my singers to sing pop and I want to give them the opportunity to do that because I want to make sure that they're doing it properly. But I think that yes. their default go-to is the furrowed brow, tortured pop star <laughs> expression. And I'm like, no, there's yeah. still a story here. Would you recommend all of these techniques, same techniques for the pop song? Absolutely. And I think one thing that um, in musical theater, we're consciously aware of our audience. We're consciously aware that there are other characters that we may be singing to or that we're singing to the audience. But I think when students are working on pop songs in particular, we forget that. My experience has been is that they've watched a video and the video is just the singer. Maybe there's a story to the video, but sometimes it's just them looking pained. And then they they emulate it. It's like, okay, that was pretty dull. Exactly. And that's just playing to the camera. Right. And so I always like to tell students when they have a pop song that, yes, in a typical pop concert situation, you're playing to the entire audience. But what some of these singers do that works so well is they pick one person way in the back of the theater or maybe even down front or whatever. And on those really emotional pieces, they're visualizing that one person and they're singing it to one person. And whether that person is the person that the song is actually written about or a friend or whoever, that there's a focus to it. Because I think if we're singing to a specific person, even if we're talking to a specific person, we're trying to get our point across. Uh, and again, that fight, fight the emotions, feeling. Because especially in the love songs, the tortured love songs, if you're singing to someone who's left, you don't want them to see the kind of weakness. And, and so if, you, if they sing it to that person, whoever that person is, it's much more focused and they're going to stay stronger. Mm, I like that. That's a really good tip. And I, I always, especially when it comes to doing things like that, I introduce those ideas even sometimes before we're looking at the vocal things, vocal techniques, and let the acting happen first and then to what vocal techniques they're doing. And if they're instinctively through the emotions doing a technique that we like, then explain, okay, so you did this and this is what happened and then explain it from a technique standpoint. I, I always go by let's, let's make the sound and then explain it. Well, I think, too, if, if you're getting them to get into the emotion of it, they're going to sing it differently anyways. Sometimes we, as, as teachers, and depending on our background, we get very focused on breath. But almost every emotion that we try to play, in reality, has some connection to breath. Ah, yes. And how we take those breaths is such a, a huge part in telling the story. And Leonard Bernstein had a quote that uh, he would conduct and he would show the different points exactly when the beats would happen. And he would say, 
all right, so here are the beats, but the music happens in between the beats. I love that quote, and I've seen, and I don't remember, I want to say it was Stephen Sondheim, but I, I don't know that 100% for sure, who took that same concept and said, but the story happens in between the breaths. And I think that in pop songs, a lot of times, when they're very wordy, we, we lose those breaths, and that creates bad technique. It causes a lot of tension. And the more we can let a singer know that breathing isn't about hiding a breath or taking a catch breath or any of that, that it's actually just as important as any of the words that we're saying, that they, they learn to accept the technique that comes with the breath and play into it rather than, okay, and now I need to take my full deep breath from my quote unquote diaphragm right. and all of that that we're taught that doesn't always need to be there, especially for the pop songs. And if we just focus more on breathing when we would naturally breathe, we can eliminate so many bad technique habits, especially in pop and musical theater. Have you discovered any new musicals or any new musical theater songs for the young singer that you're just adoring? Like any good pieces that you've been working on with uh, your kids lately? I, um, I am always under the belief that just because a song is overdone doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. And I think we put a lot of stake in, especially with auditions in the overdone lists and they're overdone because they're overdone poorly. And the big thing to, especially for auditions to always remember is that if a song is on the overdone list, it's probably on that list because it's a good song. And in an audition to always remember that they want to be auditioning the, the singer or the actor, not the song. So we want to, when we are sitting behind the table, and I can say we as a director and as a music director and as a coach on for auditions and things, that when we're sitting behind the table, we want to see songs we know. So I'm always in favor of having students look at some of those more classic songs, like um, In My Own Little Corner, or... And I think that those musical theater anthologies that have those more classic songs are fantastic. Um, so for great for sing young singers because they stood the test of time. Mm -hmm. And as far as new songs go, a lot of the newer songs are tending to do what musical theater has a tendency to do. They like to push the limits. Right. Right. And um, Justin Stoney, like to say, as does musical theater, as does the rest of music. And so if we can find that singer that will sing that high C, belt a high C as a guy, well, then there's going to be someone that will figure out how to do it. And the same goes with kids' music. Right. There will, they will keep writing harder and harder songs for kids because somebody will be able to sing it. And so a lot of the shows now, I absolutely adore School of Rock because I think those kids are absolutely incredible, but those songs are hard. They're just hard. Um, I love if you have a student, a younger student that is, for example, really wanting to play Annie 
I love Matilda. Yes, the, those songs are nice. And songs fit really well, mm-hmm. the crossover pieces, mm-hmm. uh, because they're very similar characters. Um, and I think that there are some of the songs in Matilda that work well for boys or girls. Um, I think other other shows, obviously 13 is great for that teenage age group. Um, some of the songs are a little little more challenging, uh, but I I have kids, boys that just adore the song "Being a Geek," and it's just it's a fun song because we can all relate to it. And so, especially if I'm working with a teenage boy that's just starting acting wise, um, that that one's a fun piece, and because it can do a lot of things, it can be belted, um, but it could also be a head voice piece too if they're right on. I don't know that song. I'm going to check that out because I have a, a young singer who is is just in the midst of voice change, so that might mm-hmm. be a great opportunity for him. And he's a ham. I love um, for boys that are going right through the voice change. I really like the song "Proud of Your Boy" from Aladdin, and it's a, a song that was cut from the movie for time, and they added it back in for the. It um, was originally written in C, okay. and then they moved it up to D for the for the Broadway production. And I like that, especially for boys who are auditioning, to have them learn it in both keys. Oh, okay. Because the the D is going to be just challenging enough, right, for them okay. that we can work um, work through that change. And but if it's if it's too mm-hmm. hard. For them, we can always do it. Take it back down to C. Um, then it's then it's not overly high by any means, but it's a safety net song. So that if they are auditioning for a show and say their voice is doing what it typically does for teenage boys, act up right at the worst moment, that then they can sing it in that lower key, and then they know they have it. But they've done all the work on both keys. I love that song. It's a beautiful acting piece. Mm. Uh, I for goofy songs, "Under the Sea" is still one of my all-time <laughs> favorites. Nice for boys or girls, yep. and especially since Little Mermaid Junior is really popular mm. uh, schools and things right now. It's just a show, uh, a show and a song that I think is appearing a little bit right. more for mm-hmm. kids, which then in turn helps my beautiful. Students. That's a great little tip. Awesome. All right. Well, Nate, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Your time and your talent and your expertise is so appreciated. And I look forward to continuing the conversation online on our our Voice Teachers for Young Singers Facebook group. Um, Now, I just want to say to the guests that the, or to the listeners, the Facebook uh, group is a closed group, but you can request membership. You just have to be a professional voice teacher or music teacher um so we will continue this conversation online thank you nate so much and i'm wishing you the best day ever of teaching and you and i will keep in touch because i definitely think we're going to have you back uh for future podcasts because uh you've got some great ideas thank you so much you have been listening to the full voice podcast for more information and free teacher resources please visit our website at www.thefullvoice.com. Made by Canoe Music. Canoe Music.ca.